In 2017, Hurricane Harvey devastates areas of Texas and Florida. Hurricane Maria hits Puerto Rico, causing massive damage. Deadly mudslides sweep through Sierra Leone, killing 600. Earthquakes shake Mexico. A cyclone hits India. In 2018, wildfires roar through California and Guatemala. Volcanoes erupt in Hawaii and Guatemala. 2019, the Midwest endures mass flooding. A string of tornadoes leaves destruction and enormous loss. How disaster leads to opportunities to help and deliver hope on this Action of Ministry. Inspiring you to be the hands. Empowering you to be the feet. Strengthening you to be the heart of Christ for others. Action. Action. Action in ministry. Some days I scroll through my social media feeds and I can't help but pause in disbelief. More disaster. More and more I'm seeing notifications of earthquakes and hurricanes and the devastation that comes with those things. And I don't know if I'm seeing it more and more because it's happening more frequently around the world or if I'm seeing it more because we have more access to news about these types of situations. No matter the reason, I can't deny that disasters are happening and that people are living in crisis situations in the aftermath of these disasters. I sometimes ask the question, why? Why does this happen? Why are people living um, in pain and having to endure these things? But today we're going to see some of the good that comes in situations like these. One example is LCMS disaster response. They step into the middle of the mess and lend a helping hand. Reverend Ross Johnson, Director of Disaster Response, and Reverend Michael Meyer, Manager of Disaster Response, are here today to share with us a little bit about the work that they do. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Great. I've had some limited experience with disaster response. I was able to live in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake. So I know that rebuilding doesn't come quick, and it's not easy, and it certainly doesn't happen without the help of other people. Michael, how does the LCMS disaster response help? Well, we provide guidance and counsel to congregations, districts, and recognized service organizations who seek to reach out to their communities after a disaster. And many times that includes an on-site assessment where we will go and provide counsel and meet with leaders in the community to engage them and put together an action plan for response that would entail the first couple of weeks to maybe even the first couple of months for the response. Congregations may look at this plan and say, we can't afford it. We can also give grants uh, to increase their capacity so that they can provide gift cards, all kinds of, of equipment, those kind of things that would help get the response going. We provide training in congregation preparedness and uh, training in the Lutheran early response teams. We also provide uh, a debriefing for professional church workers and care for church workers after they've gone through a disaster, recognizing that they have needs uh, as well. We work with natural disasters both in the United States and internationally. Right. And in the United States, we have approximately 6,000 different congregations. So when a disaster happens anywhere across the United States, typically we have a, a congregation that's nearby that we can deploy out of, that we can use that congregation as a hub or a base of outreach into the community. And that way we have a congregationally-based response. 
internationally, we have over 30 partner churches. So when there's a volcano that erupts in Guatemala, we have a partner church in Guatemala. We have congregations that are literally miles, just a few miles away from where the disaster happens. So those function as a place and a source that we can reach out into the community. We're not first responders, so we're not the first ones in the first hours after disaster to go and try to save and rescue people. But as people go back to their homes and they and they see the brokenness and the loss, we can start to help them pick up the pieces. And we do it in two different ways. We try to help them with their physical needs. If, if they need their house to be mucked out after it's been flooded out and we need to tear out all the drywall and the muck and the carpet and all that kind of stuff. We're there with helping hands ready to serve. But also, as the church, we have a unique role that we are able to care for somebody spiritually. We found that when somebody has lost their house, their home, their residence, all those memories, all the, all the memories of their children's childhood that grew up in that house and the, the antiques that they received from their parents and grandparents, and all those memories are taken to this curb and thrown out after a hurricane or a flood, that there's, there's a spiritual crisis that someone goes through. And the church can step in, and they can pray with them. They can listen to them. There's a lot of great helpful organizations, nonprofit organizations that do a, a great job. But the church has the ability to help out in physical needs, but also in spiritual needs. What type of disaster constitutes your team stepping in to help? For the last few years, the majority of the disasters that we've done in the United States have been tornadoes, hurricanes, flooding events. And what a lot of people don't realize about flooding events is when you see the images on the TV, the water resides, and then the house is still standing, it's hard to capture the amount of devastation that a flood does. But when you go into a flooded house, you have to tear out everything, kitchen cabinets, all the appliances, the drywall, the carpet the furniture, your clothes, every, I mean, it's just imagine almost just about everything in the house has got to go. And it's so, it's so frustrating to the homeowner because it's all good stuff and it might've even been new stuff, but after <laughs> flood water and sewer water runs through your house for days or weeks, none of it is salvageable. So it, it's very devastating. And also the vast majority of times floods are not insured. A typical homeowner policy does not cover floods. So economically, the loss is just devastating to people when they, when they find out there's not even insurance. And a lot of times the FEMA um, claims that people are able to get is only literally a few thousand dollars or more. So it's not enough to come close to covering the loss. And then where do you live for those months while your home that you're paying a mortgage payment on is unhabitable? Well, then you have to either live with family or friends, and as the saying goes, fish and visitors get old after three days, or <laughs> you're renting another place and making a mortgage payment, right? So it, it's kind of a double whammy, and then just the—it's just so inconvenient. It's just so frustrating what people are going through. Michael, tell us a little bit about what you do with Disaster Response. Yeah, my work primarily involves uh, the training. I do engage in the response side of things as well, but uh, I lead the Lutheran Early Response Team training mm -hmm. uh, across the LCMS. And that's a, that's a six-hour training session that congregations can host mm -hmm. and members can attend. And we cover the do's and the don'ts of how to respond safely. What does it look like for a local congregation to have a team of five to 40 uh, volunteers who would gather together regularly and help their neighbor. So we, we like to engage these teams specifically with disaster, but 
At the same time, we recognize that disasters aren't constantly happening in people's communities. Thank the Lord for yes. that, right? But uh, but the need for showing mercy is there constantly. So we try and engage these LERT teams, these Lutheran early response teams, uh, into acts of mercy throughout their regular ministry to engage it into the regular life of the church. So how can they help the homebound and the shut-in in their community take care of their houses and their yards? How can they uh, help uh, uh, other groups that, 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 that would be high risk for other things, simply unable to take care of themselves? So we like to, we like to engage them at all levels. Uh, and the training, it, it has uh, do's and don'ts, how to stay safe, what, what not to do, what not to say uh, to victims of disaster. It also goes through uh, equipment, what kind of equipment would be helpful for a team to have and to utilize, tools, that kind of stuff, trailers. Uh, We also talk about self-care, how to recognize signs of stress in individuals and yourself and others because uh, disaster response work is not easy. You see a lot of things in the disaster field that, uh, that you don't see in regular life. Uh, and so because of that, people oftentimes absorb that and take that into themselves. And so we want to do everything that we can to to make sure that our volunteers stay safe physically, emotionally, and that they're also provided for spiritually. What's an example of something not to say to somebody in a disaster situation? You, well, you got me on that. Yeah, one, one example is uh, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, or uh, other examples would be... It could have been worse. Yeah, it could have been worse. Yeah, or look at the neighbors. Their house is really bad. Uh, Yours yeah. is only half destroyed. Theirs, they don't even have a anything bit of, like, left. Compassion and empathy. <laughs> right, right. That we want to let the, the the victims of this disaster own their own emotions. And the goal then of the Lutheran Early Response Team, and frankly of the church, is simply to, in an incarnational way be there with them in the midst of it, uh, help when we can. We don't want to promise things that we can't personally deliver. Uh, and so what that means is that we want to personally deliver things uh, and and be there, hold their hands. It's kind of like that definition of synod, right, that we are walking together. Yeah. Uh, that that's It's an extension of, of who we are in disaster. We're walking with them. They are not alone in the midst of this suffering. We are there with them, just like Jesus is there with them in his word and in his sacraments, forgiving them and giving them strength, hope, and comfort. What are the prerequisites for somebody who, like, wants to be a part of one of the— did you say alert? Is that alert team? alert, L-E-R-T. Okay. Are there prerequisites for people to become a part of something like that? The only prerequisites that we would have is that they're between the ages of 18 and 105. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, and LCMS members. Uh, So right now we're only— Capable of traveling? Do they? Yeah, have- but uh, but a lot of our alert teams end up finding themselves volunteering locally. Yeah. Uh, so we we say the the best volunteer comes within a hundred miles of the disaster, uh, because they they can they can go in in the morning, uh, they can take their tools with them, they can provide help and assistance, and then they can go home and sleep in their own beds at night. Uh, oftentimes in a disaster, lodging is pretty difficult to find. And so if you're going to travel a 1,000 miles, and a lot of our teams do that, but they need to then have that additional prerequisite of having a place to stay, being, being able to travel that distance, as you, as you said. So we, we find that our alert teams are very, very diverse in that. So some of them stay close and they help their closest neighbors. Others do that along with uh, helping a little bit further away. Mm-hmm. Diverse in age and and skill sets abilities. and abilities, uh, all of these things. So it's not. I mean, there's a lot of unskilled volunteers that that 
is definitely needed with debris removal and sometimes the the muck out and moving things out of a home. People need help doing that. If the if there's no roof, you don't want rain coming in and getting everything wet. So people uh, oftentimes find themselves essentially moving people out of their homes and into storage units. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely an unskilled position, but very, very needed. Uh, and sometimes there's needs for more skilled positions like electricians or plumbers and those kind of things. There's a there's a place for that. Uh, and then also you know, food preparation and uh, distribution. There's a lot of uh, wonderful women's groups and fellowship committees and across the LCMS that engage in, uh, in distributing food and that kind of thing from all ages and Finally, we, we, we talk about prayer as well. That's something that we can all engage in, uh, prayer for others, prayer for the victims, prayer for those who are, who are helping. So a disaster comes, you have your trained teams, and how do you mobilize people in to serve in those areas? Oftentimes, this is done at the district level where our district disaster response coordinator, and there's one of those in every district of the LCMS, uh, so one of these coordinators will send out an email to all of their trained volunteers. Uh, and they'll say they, they will have already done the legwork with the local congregation to say this is this is uh, when volunteers can be expected to show up and arrive. And so that email goes out and says, let's meet at uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Orchard Farms uh, at uh, nine o'clock on Saturday morning. And then that coordinator works through uh, a, a local in the congregation to connect uh, victims, members, families, those kind of things with the work teams coming in. And then there's liability waivers that have to be signed for that to, to protect everybody from, uh, from liability. That's a, that's, a, that's a big portion of it as well. Ross, you talked a little bit about how um, when people experience a disaster, they lose not only some of the bigger things we think about, but also these special mementos, things like pictures and um, things that have a sentimental value. And it almost sounds to me like when you're talking that people have to grieve the loss of some of those things. How do you minister to people in that time? How do you help them through that process? We found that one of the most helpful questions as somebody's kind of walking through the debris of their home and their life, literally and figuratively, one of the more helpful questions to ask is, tell me about, tell me about this piano. Tell me about this picture. Tell me about, and it opens up a safe way for them to talk about the loss that they're, and what they're feeling without asking them a million questions. I remember being on a team after Hurricane Katrina in one of the the homes that we were helping clear out, muck out, we call it mucking out, where you just have mm-hmm. to gut the whole, everything that's in there. The lady uh, was a master piano player. She had been teaching professionally. Uh, one her, of her prized possessions was a piano, a grand piano that she had for two decades, something that she spent hours with every single day. Water got into it and it was just ruined. By chance, one of the members that was on our team years earlier, he had been a piano mover. And he was able to disassemble the piano in a way that was just very nice and respectful. It wasn't just a bunch of us brutes that were going to take sledgehammers and axes to it and chop it up and carry it out. But he knew how to properly disassemble it. But she was so grateful that somebody knew how to kindly and compassionately dispose of something that was so meaningful to her. So sometimes we think like, how is God going to use me after a disaster? God, our piano mover by chance was the perfect person at the perfect time. And we would never have been able to have made that happen. But it was just 
God knew who he needed and, and, and how it was all going to work out. I mean, that's such a beautiful story of caring for somebody in their time of need. How do the survivors respond when your teams show up? A lot of times people are kind of in shock because it's surreal. And at first, most people try to have a, a very optimistic outlook. Oh, it's just stuff. We're going to get through this. We've gotten through a lot of stuff before. And, and a lot of those things are true statements. But the, the problem is that recovering from a disaster is not a sprint. It's really a marathon. And you're kind of seeing somebody like kind of sprinting. You kind of need that energy to get you through those first days. But then what happens is people go through kind of a deep dive uh, a couple weeks after the disaster happens. And after the emergency relief crews kind of come in for a few weeks, they all leave. Then people feel like abandoned, like, man, we were in the front page of the news. Everybody cared about us now. Everybody's gone. And now what are we going to do? I got a mucked out house. I'm, all I got is a house that's full of mold and two by fours. And I'm living in some kind of temper. And, and people kind of emotionally kind of crash. And that's where having a church in that town that we're working out of is really kind of helpful because we're able to bring comfort peace, a bigger perspective. It doesn't mean that ever all the problems of life goes away, but at least we get a little bit of perspective. In the Bible verses that we've heard our whole life, like Psalm 23, kind of come to life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And sometimes it, when you're going through a disaster or a crisis or a tragedy in your life, you feel like you're going through this dark place that, you know, all the, the the walls are all around you. Nobody knows or understands what you're going through. You feel all alone in that valley, in that dark place. But it's great to know that we don't go through that alone, that we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that comforts us, that guides us, that gets us through, even when we don't know how he's going to get us through. And a lot of times he uses his church he uses his people. He uses friendship. He uses the preaching of the word. He uses the administration of the Lord's Supper to continuously remind you, even though you live in brokenness and tragedy, you're still my child. And I forgive you. I love you. I care about you. And so that's why it's so critical that the Christian church has an active voice and is out in the community after a disaster. LCMS disaster response doesn't take any federal funds. And the reason that we don't is we don't want anybody to silence our Christian voice. Whenever you take the government's money, they say, you can do this, you can't do this, you can say this, but you can't say that. We don't want anybody to silence our Christian voice. We want to, when it's appropriate, we want to be able to share the gospel, to bring the comfort of Jesus without saying, oh, we, we really want to talk to you about Jesus, but we can't because we're taking these federal dollars that say and stipulate that we can't do it. So we forgo some funds, but we find that having the freedom to share the Christian faith, to bring true hope, true comfort is, is essential to the work that we do. And it really makes us different. There's a lot of very helpful organizations out there, but they're not doing their work in the name of Christ. That's what we do as the Lutheran Church. And we build long-term relationships with these individuals, and we encourage churches to do that too. So it's not just one and done, we're there and, and goodbye, 
but we want our churches and congregations to minister to them throughout the rest of their lives. And so uh, one of the things that Ross mentioned a few times was this Christian voice. And sometimes maybe your listeners, well, what words would we put with this voice? Would we actually speak with this voice? We have a ton of uh, resources available from our office, devotional guides, spiritual care resources, a companion, uh, bringing God's comfort and peace in the midst of tragedy that literally give volunteers the words uh, to say to victims because— I know, uh, you know, before I went through seminary, and frankly, even after I went through seminary, I, I wasn't always comfortable sitting down with somebody who's gone through a tragedy and saying, all right, here's the verses that, uh, that'll that make your life better. Uh, <laughs> that's not how things work. But uh, but many times we can, you know, we, we Ross mentioned Psalm 23, we all have these things kind of on the tip of our tongue, or there might be others that are important to you, and you can uh, share them in a way that, you know, this is something that has helped me. Uh, get through some of some difficult times. I'd like to share it with you, uh, and and I hope that it brings you some comfort and peace. And if, like I said, you can't think of one thing, use contact us. We'll get you some resources for you to take out with you, slip in your pocket, uh, and uh, it's it, there's no shame in using a, an assist or a help like that. You know, I think you you hit on a really interesting point. I think a lot of times people feel maybe like they're not equipped to like step into these hard situations and do a great job of like helping somebody out who's going through something hard. But um, I wonder how your volunteers are affected by this. Do you have any stories of people just really feeling like they're ill-equipped and like going in like this piano um, mover, like and just feeling like they're in the right place at the right time? How right. Are they affected? Right. Uh, I have. Uh, I remember. A story that uh, the pastor in Pilger, Nebraska, once told me of volunteers that came through. And in Pilger, there were two EF4 tornadoes that went through town. One of them destroyed about 40% of the town, including the parsonage and the the LCMS church there. So when we were there 36 hours after the tornado, there was just a concrete slab uh, where the church used to be. And volunteers would come there, and of course the pastor is, he's impacted directly. He was a victim uh, in in the, the strictest possible sense, right? Uh, and volunteers would come to him, and they'd look around at the destruction, and they'd, they'd, they'd say, I, I, where do we start? I, I don't even know where to begin to figure out how to help you. And he'd look at them, and he'd say, look, look, look down at your feet right now, and if, if all you do in your time here today is pick up Two square feet of of stuff that's around your feet. That's that's two square feet that I don't have to that I don't have to to worry about later. And I will be forever thankful for your effort and your time and your energy. And so, just the, even those small things. Now, of course, that person would go on throughout the day and do far more uh, than that. But just getting started, you know, uh, and it's there's there's nothing wrong with uh, teams going in or individuals going in and saying, you know, this is something that's outside of my skill level. It's not my skill set. Uh, maybe it would be better for somebody else to to, uh, to to do this particular thing. I might be better suited to help in this other area. So that's that's something that we always encourage our volunteers to, to talk with the people who are doing that kind of coordination to make sure that we are making good good fits for that. And what we find is that when Lutherans are visibly responding to a disaster, the community absolutely loves it. I think we're moving into a different era in the United States where the United States is becoming more secular. It's becoming more hostile against the church. Uh, A lot of people have never been to a church 
before. They don't understand what Christians are. All they know is what they watch on the news or the media and, and a stereotype of what Christians are. So when they see Lutherans or Christians showing up to a, a disaster scene and just helping out, caring for others, not receiving a dime, uh, giving up weeks of their life to, to serve other people, it's always appreciated. I remember uh, in 2012, I just got back from Afghanistan. I was a chaplain in the army. I was on a sleepy little town. I was the parish pastor in Alabama. And the local news wanted to come and do a story because what else has happened in that, that part of Alabama that I was living in? <laughs> and the reporter comes out and they interview me. Interview went fine. And she was not a Christian. And she said, you know, I'm not a Christian, even though she was writing for the religion section of the newspaper. But she said, I remember a couple of years ago, there was Lutherans all over the Gulf Coast of Alabama helping out. She said, you know, I love that. I thought that's exactly what the Christian church should be doing. So even those who are not church, they have an appreciation for when Lutherans show up, they're visibly present. They're saying, we love Jesus and we care about you. What can we do to help? It's always appreciated. So if somebody wanted to get involved and help in the efforts that you guys are doing around the country and the world, what would you what would you say to them? What's the first step or steps they can take? Well, there's a number of things. Mm-hmm. First, I mean, they can they can have their congregation host one of our alert trainings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can lead that from our office. And many times we can also have someone locally in your district uh, lead this alert training. And it, your congregation then would be Uh, trained in preparedness, as well as the Lutheran Early Response Team training, how to volunteer. So that's that's a very real, tangible, physical way to do it, but that involves quite a bit of time. There's other things that, uh, and other ways that you can be involved. You can follow us on our Facebook page, uh, keyword LCMS Disaster Response. We regularly post prayers on there, and we regularly post updates for what's going on in different parts of the world as it relates to uh, our Lutheran response to disasters. You can also visit us on our webpage, lcms.org forward slash disaster, and there's all kinds of ways to engage resources uh, to download so uh, for uh, use in your congregation or small group, those kind of things. Uh, along with that, there's also opportunities to give financially to help support the response that we've engaged in a number of areas uh, that we're continuing in Harvey, uh, to, in Texas to Harvey and Nebraska to flooding, and most recently now in Missouri and other other states in the Midwest that are currently underwater, and we're preparing responses here throughout the summer and into the fall months. Ross, what would you say to somebody who wants to find a way to use their gifts to serve others in a time of crisis. So I think there's there's a couple options like Michael is talking about just physically volunteering that's always helpful. But what do you do if you're living in California but the the disaster is happening in the Midwest or it's happening internationally? I think one of the best ways to help out in that situation where you can't physically respond is maybe to financially help out beyond just mucking out somebody's house. A lot of times we'll be giving gift cards out to somebody because if they don't have any clothes but the clothes that's on their back, they need to run to Target or Kohl's or something like that and to go out and and get essentials. And a lot of times that takes money and you don't have that because most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And then the economic destruction of with this tornado. So there's so many different ways that we can help somebody out financially by giving grants to help them with temporary housing to cover the cost of them being displaced for a couple of months uh, to rebuilding supplies. So after we muck out a house, we need to come in, buy drywall, 
buy flooring, and then install it. All that costs funds. And so giving a financial donation helps us go back and rebuild and help people rebuild their lives and not just their homes. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and sharing. Thank you for the work that you do, especially for showing us that no matter what our skill level is, that there's a place for us to serve in our churches and in our communities in times of crisis. So thank you so much for sharing um, a little bit of your story with us here today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Rachel, it was great being here. Thanks for having us. Volunteers can help physically to rebuild homes and businesses, restock lost material items, and offer emotional support, which are all so critically needed in times of disaster. But there's more. I'm remembering a story of a hurting woman at a well, drawing water, when she's visited by Jesus. Jesus knows her pain and he offers her living water and says with it, she will never thirst again. Jesus isn't speaking of physical thirst and a need for hydration, but he's pointing to our need for him, which fills our spiritual need. What a beautiful picture of God's provision, both physically and spiritually, as these disaster response volunteers deliver help and hope, just as Jesus does. What can you do? That's Action and Ministry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Legute. Thank you for listening to Action in Ministry. We'd love to hear how you and your church are ministering to your community. To submit ideas for this podcast, visit our website, lhm.org forward slash action, and send us an email.